You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Well, we're in, uh, we're in Luke 8. I'm going to read out of, I just thought it'd be fun today, the First Nations uh, version. So this is like a, an indigenous translation. Um, so you have uh, like Jesus, his name's going to be Creator Sets Free. Uh, Satan, his name is Accuser, things like that. Like they try to give it kind of a Native American spin on it. So it's the story of the four kinds of soil. Part of the reason I thought I'd use a different translation today is because... Uh, Many of you have heard this parable many times about different kinds of seeds that fall out on different kinds of soil. And it can wake you up a little bit to hear it with different words. So I'll read it to you, starting in verse 4. That's a lot of reading today. I know, so much scripture in a church, who would have thought? The people began to gather in crowds as they came from village after village to Creator sets free, Jesus. As the crowds gathered, he told them a story. Listen, he said, a seed planter went to plant some seeds and began to scatter them about the ground. Some seeds fell on the village pathway, but people walked on them, and the winged ones pecked at the seeds and ate them all. Some of the seeds fell on the rocks where there was only a little dirt. The plants grew, but they dried up because they had no water. Other seeds fell into the weeds. And thistles sprouted around the seeds and choked the life out of them. But some seeds fell on good ground, grew strong, and gave a harvest of 100 times what was planted. If you have ears to hear, you will understand this story. But his followers did not understand. So they asked him for the meaning of the story. He answered them, To you the honor has been given to understand the mysterious ways of Creator's good road. This honor is not given to those who are not ready for it. I speak to them in stories because even though they have eyes to see, they do not see. And even though they have ears to hear, they fail to understand. So this is what the story means, he told them. The seed in this story is a teaching from the Great Spirit about his good road. The village pathway represents the ones who hear, but then the accuser, Satan, the evil snake, sneaks up and steals the words out of their heart to keep them from believing the teaching and being set free. The rocky ground represents the ones who hear and receive the teaching with glad hearts, but because they have no roots, their faith is shallow and does not last. As soon as the teaching brings them trouble or opposition, they stumble and fall away. The weeds and thistles represent the ones who have heard the teaching, but they are too busy worrying about their earthly possessions, so the teaching is choked, and their faith stops growing good fruit. The good ground represents the ones who hear the teaching with good and pure hearts. Hold on tightly to it and never let go until it grows good fruit in their lives. No one after lighting a lamp hangs up a blanket in front of it. Instead, they would put it on a table so everyone can see. The ones who have ears to hear will understand this teaching. But they must listen carefully. For the ones who understand will gain wisdom and be ready for more, much more. 
But the ones who do not listen wisely will lose even the little they think they understand. That's one of Jesus' longer parables, and it's one of the only parables that Jesus explains. <laughs> uh, which I think part of the reason the disciples wrote that down is because we needed a blueprint. All right, we see parables all over the scriptures, you guys. But how do we interpret these? And so Jesus sets out for his disciples, and in doing so, sets out for us. Sometimes you need a little help. Here's how it works. And if you notice in that parable, Jesus just speaks in all symbolism and metaphor and analogies. And I find that God tends to always speak this way. In fact, it can be a little frustrating sometimes. Because if you're like me, you want God to just speak something very clear. <laughs> straight out of heaven and say, Here is exactly what you will do. Go to the fourth stoplight and take a right. But we're human. We know we can mess that up too. Okay, is, can I put that in GPS? What's a stoplight? You know, like, we just, we can fail even when it's clear. But God likes to speak in such ways that we have to seek him out to find the meaning. And he's been doing that since the beginning of time. This isn't new with Jesus. When you go back into the Old Testament, he spoke in a different kind of parable. Does anybody want to take a stab at it? What kind of parable was that? Dreams. They're parables. You know, I used to think that dreams were just nonsense in the Old Testament. I fell asleep and I had dreams of seven fat cows that ate seven lean cows. Tell me what God wants to say by this. As a kid, I was like, I don't know, man. Would you have ice cream before you went to bed? I don't know what to do with that. But as I've grown up and learned to look for interpretation and seek out what God wants to say, it starts to make sense. Pharaoh in that dream is talking about seven good years full of food where crops are abundant, these fat cows, but they're going to come and eat everything up and leave you only with the sparse cows that are hardly thriving, hardly surviving, scraping to get by. Now I understand how Joseph can see famine in a picture where I did not. It wasn't just a code downloaded into Joseph's mind for him to understand. It was the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit, coming to Joseph to say, Pharaoh had a dream. I gave it to him. It's confusing. It's a parable. If you really want to understand what it means, you're going to have to talk to me. That's exactly what Jesus does here. He tells a parable, and he speaks out a parable because he doesn't want everyone to get it. Because everyone in that that field at that moment listening to him, they're not all there to hear the wise ways of Jesus. Some of them are there because they want to see a miracle. And Jesus isn't exactly feeling like being a magician in front of people to convince them to follow God. In fact, Jesus says elsewhere, look, if you don't believe like the law and the prophets, so what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise the dead and now people are going to believe? And most of us are like, yeah, Jesus, if you raise the dead, people will believe. Jesus says, no, if you can't believe the law and the prophets, neither will you believe if I raise from the dead. Jesus does that with the supernatural here, I think. So what, they all came out to see miracles and that's what's going to convince them? No. Are they interested in me, not the little tricks that can happen? Are they interested in me, not just to see supernatural happening? So I speak in parables, so that those who are actually here to learn from me, those who are actually there because they want to know more about the Father, those who are actually here who need the Holy Spirit to speak to them, they'll be spoken to. 
But those who are here for a magic trick, those who are here because they heard I multiply food and they're hungry, those who are here for a healing and all these things, like those things are all good and great. But even a healing doesn't always bring about the fruit we're looking for. Think of Jesus healing all the lepers. Only one came back and said thank you. The fruit was lacking in the other ones. And so... Jesus is looking for the hungry. Who wants to have the interpretation? And he looks to his disciples. Here they are, the ones with the interpretation. And the disciples let us down yet again. So, uh, what, 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 what did you say that for? <laughs> what, what did that, that little story you told mean, Jesus? And Jesus looks at them and he's like, How do you, you don't get it? Like, you guys, you, you actually have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's, who's supposed to be helping you understand what I'm saying right now, and you don't get it? And the disciples just kind of look around like, uh, let's say that we didn't get it. <laughs> Maybe you could just spell it out for us. And so Jesus explains the parable. He explains the symbolism. And that's still how Jesus loves to speak today. When I do uh, deliverance ministry, exorcism, kicking out demons, whatever, uh, the ways in which we work are highly symbolic. We ask the Holy Spirit to meet us in our imagination and kind of give us direction. And a lot of times while I'm meeting with people, they'll get an image in their head. And then we do what people do all throughout the Bible where they say, Jesus, Spirit, God, what does this image mean? And then we hope that God will help us find the interpretation. And sometimes he has to go an extra distance to, to speak outside of those moments. I remember I was working on a deliverance project with someone once, and I had a dream one night. And it was, in my understanding, it was a normal dream, just a normal human dream, except for one point that really stood out in the middle of it, out of nowhere. Just like you might be walking through town awake, and then a thought pops into your head, and you're like, whoa, that, that seemed different. Was that God? That's kind of what this dream felt like. I was just dreaming, and then all of a sudden, a little thought popped into the dream. It's like, whoa, is this God? And it was a guitar case with a sticker on it that said prima facie, <laughs> which I don't know what that means. I know that's an English word. Well, it's a Latin word that we sometimes repeat in English. But I didn't know what this meant. And so I woke up, and I looked up the word prima facie, and I'm like, what, what does this mean? And it means, more or less, I'll just put it in my terms, it's exactly what it looks like. It's exactly what it looks like, prima facie. Now, this is a question that I had a lot during this deliverance time, where I would work with a person, and we'd come across a demon, and I would say, you know, like, Holy Spirit, is, is this symptom in their life connected to this demon? Because this demon here represents this thing, and they're dealing with this thing as like a symptom of their own life. And I remember while we were praying imaginative prayer with this person, the person just says, God said, I gave you two words in a dream. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what? Oh, no, I hope I wrote this down somewhere. <laughs> I pull out my phone. I'm like going through all my recent dreams, and I find the one that says prima facie. And I look at them and I'm like, ask the Holy Spirit if prima facie is the dream. And they feel the Holy Spirit just very clearly say, yes. Oh, 
So this symptom in your life is exactly what it looks like. It's connected to this demon. So we need to get rid of this demon to get rid of this symptom, prima facie. Now, the Holy Spirit would actually bring this dream up several times as I worked through deliverance over the next few months. We would forget the word even existed, and then occasionally it would just reappear. And you know what's really weird is I didn't put the guitar case part together. Why is a sticker on a guitar case? Prima facie. It's a guitar case. What do you think is inside the guitar case? It's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> so I had already experienced the fruit of the dream without experiencing the interpretation of me understanding why the guitar case. And I don't know why all the time, but God rarely speaks directly when I'm doing deliverance ministry, imaginative ministry, or anything like that. He speaks instead like he always has. In the Old Testament, dreams. In the prophets, daydreams and dreams. In the New Testament, parables, which is someone stating a dream out loud for metaphor and symbolism for you to think about and mull over and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you. This is why I think parables actually have a lot of interpretations. If you ever gone to a different church where somebody explains a parable to you and you're like, whoa, that's not the same interpretation I heard at the last church I was at. And yet at the same time, you're like, and yet it still feels right. Like that's the right interpretation. I think God's capable of speaking in double entendres, triple entendres, quadruple entendres. That God can pull up a parable that he meant for some other reason and you go and you read it in a different light. And God uses the parable for your life in that moment to speak something different to you. Now, if any of you have ever gone to college for pastoral ministry, you'll be taught that this is called bad exegesis, taking something out of context to mean something that it shouldn't mean. Yet even the Bible does this with itself, where the Holy Spirit takes a scripture from the Old Testament and puts it in a different light that it doesn't belong. So you can have someone like Matthew, I think, maybe Luke. Matthew, who's like, when Herod took all those babies out, when Jesus was born... Leah was weeping for her children. That's not what that passage in the Old Testament meant. It was not even a prophecy. <laughs> Leah weeping for her children was, was narrative. Yet Matthew, as he's reading through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit brings a new light to an Old Testament passage and, and says, this passage right here is what it's like. Feel it in a new way. See it in a different way. And so if you want to hear the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to allow him to speak clearly to you. You're going to have to meet with him, talk with him, hear from him, read about him, dive into the scriptures with him, dream with him, daydream with him. Because he wants to speak to you. And as a Christian, that is your birthright, your inheritance, that the Holy Spirit has been given to you because he's going to make you new in the resurrection one day, but right now he's already trying to resurrect you as much as he can so that the, the fruit of the Spirit that Chet read earlier, that might already start to grow in you right now in this life. That the Holy Spirit might cultivate you so it might be in Jackson as it is in heaven. It might be in Brian as it is in heaven. It might be in Casey as it is in heaven. 
you got to let the Holy Spirit cultivate and grow and bring you to life. And one of the ways in which he's going to do that is by talking to you. And you might say, well, I'm not a prophet, so he's not going to speak to me. But that's, that's not how that works. Prophecy is a special gifting. It's an office. But God speaks to everyone. None of you in this room are so special that God will not speak to you. And if this parable shows us anything, it's the pressing in and the pushing forward and the continual cultivation that will increase the fruit in your life. That will increase, I think, your ability to hear God. Because the parable says time and time again, to those who have ears, let them hear. To those who have ears, let them hear. Not everyone in this field right now is actually hearing what I'm saying, but those of you who do have ears to pick up the signals from the Holy Spirit, let them who have those ears hear. And Jesus adds that interesting uh, addition here in Luke to the end of this parable, where he says, those who do hear, to them more will be given. To those who do hear, to them more will be given. But to those who do not, even what they think they have will be taken away. And that, that's a hard passage for us to, to mull over. Yet the Bible talks all over the place about reward. It talks about reward in this life for, for following God. And when I say reward, I don't mean the standard blessings that Christians in America are always espousing, like lots of money and a nice new car and all things like that. That's prosperity gospel. That's not the reward that God is talking about. Big house with the white picket fence and all those things. 3.5 children. That's not the reward God is talking about. It's this reward of greater intimacy with Him. It's this reward of, of, of a more powerful uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit upon your life to be able to walk in greater authority, in greater power, to bring the kingdom of heaven to Jackson, to bring the kingdom of heaven to your life, to come across your friends who are, are dealing with difficulty and need someone to touch them and heal them, that you might be able to do that. Because Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And you don't tell someone to desire something that they can't have. It's just cruel. Paul believed that as you are growing in fruit, as you are reaching out and asking God for more, it just might come. It just might happen. Your spiritual life does not need to end where it's at today. In fact, if your spiritual life is going to be biblical, then for the rest of your life you are trying to grow more and more fruit, where the Holy Spirit becomes more and more vivid through you and your actions. Maybe you haven't cast out a demon yet, but maybe you might. Maybe you haven't seen that person healed that you've been praying for yet, but maybe you might. Maybe you haven't had that dream yet, but maybe you might. We all have different gifts, but we eagerly desire the greater ones. And to those of us who desire, as we are tested and tried, God pours out more. But you got to survive that testing. Because a lot of times our spiritual lives, when they come in contact with testing, what happens? 
They just fizzle out. We get caught up on the same questions that people have been asking since the beginning of time about God, and we say, oh, there's suffering in the world. How can God be good? I'm out. If you can't get around the very basic questions that we've all been asking and stay committed to God, even when it's confusing, you're not going to experience the greater fruit. You have to press through. The Bible says that God tests those he loves. The Bible shows us time and time again that that the most powerful Christians throughout history, they went through suffering to get there. Paul has a whole list in one of his books. What is that? Philippians? Ephesians? I could name like ten more and they'd all still be Paul. But Paul has a whole list. Oh, you know, I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been this, that, and the other thing. And of course, on top of all of these difficulties, there's this this pain in me to take care of the church. (laughs) Paul has seen his fair share of suffering. And yet, the greater fruit of Paul's life is that he wrote most of your New Testament and really impacted Christianity for all of history. That Paul saw churches birth all the places that he went. That Paul experienced the Holy Spirit in supernatural, crazy ways that he can't even explain. Where he's been taken up into the third heaven. What does that even mean? We don't know. Paul won't tell us the story. But the the result of those greater fruits is out of his pursuit for God. And you see, I think, something similar in the resurrection that is to come. That God actually will judge us, and reward will vary, even in the new creation. I think this is the only, like, example you really get is the martyrs. In Revelation, the martyrs have been beheaded, and it's the martyrs who get, like, a head start on the resurrection. I don't know what that means. Revelation's always very confusing. But they get like a thousand years head start on the resurrection. Why? Well, they gave up everything that they had in this life so that they might reap a reward in the next life where their life is extended. How do you extend eternity? I guess you put a little extra addition on the front of it. (laughs) Is that what that passage means? I guess we'll find out someday. But it's an example of reward. Likewise, the disciples, they're told they'll have thrones in heaven. Uh, There's kings in the resurrection. There's countries in the resurrection. There's variations. Sure, it's all paradise. Sure, it's all good. But the reward varies based on, on how much fruit we developed in this life. And I don't know about you, but I'm not content to stay on the, 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 the seeds that get planted in the soil where they get beaten by birds and they don't survive. Or the seeds that the sun comes out and it scorches them. I don't want to be those seeds. The seed that Jesus was hoping for for every Christian was the one that blossoms and produces a hundredfold what it originally was. That's, that's the Christian hope. That's the discipleship hope. That's why you're in this room right now, is because a small group of disciples 2,000 years ago said, we will follow Jesus no matter what it takes, and you are the fruit of their labors. Now, what is the fruit of your labors in the next 2,000 years? This is a question God wants to put on our heart, and he tells it through a parable. 
And if our desire is to just scrape by, if our desire is to just do what we can to be as Christian as we need to be to get into heaven, Paul says we'll get in by the skin of our teeth. And Paul kind of envisions that moment as having no reward. You spent your whole life building up a spiritual house. Fire comes to burn it down. Those who built up their houses strong get in with the reward. And those who got burned all the way to the ground, well, they've got the foundation of Jesus, so they got in by the skin of their teeth. Is that what you want eternity to be like? Is that what you want now to be like? Because Jesus said that the reward we reap, like it will even be now, not just later. So Jesus, we come before you right now uh, recognizing that um, we are all in different places. I remember reading this passage back in 2016 and thinking to myself, I, I'm not that seed that Jesus wants me to be. I'm in one of the three stages before that. And it would be my hope and desire that I could stop now some seven-ish years later and say, Jamin, you've, you've gone beyond where you used to be. Certainly my hope and desire to say, at least you didn't go backwards. But God, we go through testing, we go through pain, we go through difficulty. And we can use those moments as ammo to turn against you, or we can use those moments to strengthen us to say, no matter what comes my way, I will follow Christ. And we don't even do it for the reward. We just know that that's just a natural part of of what you pour out as we're following you. And even if that reward is just greater intimacy with you, knowing you better, knowing you clearer, hearing your voice better, oh, what a reward that is to be plugged into the Holy Spirit in that way. So send your spirit, your spirit of wisdom. We don't know what to do in every case. And we can often pick up our Bibles and hope that it will tell us, but we face a lot of situations that our Bibles don't have words for. And we need your Holy Spirit, your spirit of wisdom to be clear with us so that we face every situation in such a way that it brings about resurrection life and brings heaven to Jackson, brings heaven to our lives, brings heaven to our friends and our family. Your kingdom is coming here, not going away. So teach us to build it. Teach us to become the seed that produces a hundredfold. And may we know you better as we do it. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.